Good morning, everyone. So glad uh, to see you at Hope Church. So glad for those of you that are online uh, worshiping together that you are here this morning. And um, my name is Greg Brady. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor here at Hope Church. I want you to take out your Bible. Um, If you brought like an actual Bible, fantastic. If you did not, take out your phone and turn to your Bible app. Uh, We're going to look at Acts chapter 1 today. And uh, before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read your word today, we recognize that, uh, that these are more than words on a page. Um, if we approach them with suspicion, if we approach Scripture with a closed mind and a closed heart, all that's going to happen this morning is just words on a page going in one ear and out the other. So we pray that you would help us to come to you with an open mind, open heart, um, ready to be filled as your Spirit speaks to us through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father that my but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit and then they gathered around him and asked him lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to israel and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are starting um, a series of messages called The Church In. Um, Last month, we looked at this question, what is God's mission in the world? And... This month, we're going to look at how the church can take God's mission and do it. Um, And what we see in this scripture is Jesus telling his disciples, now it's your turn. You're going to to do it. You're going to carry out God's mission. Um, And what I want to look at today is the church in motion. And I want to give three words that I'm going to focus on this sermon, um, message, method, and map. That's going to serve as our outline today. As we talk about those three words, Jesus gives us a particular message. Jesus gives us a new method for carrying out that message, and then Jesus does something with our map, and we'll talk about the map, ministry map. Um, So let's start with the message, uh, the message Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us the message of the kingdom of God 
Luke, the same fellow who wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote this book of Acts, and he gives us this great insight to Jesus' last 40 days with his disciples. You can imagine that Jesus would spend his last 40 days talking about very important things with his disciples. He probably wasn't just chit-chatting with his disciples, wasn't small-talking with them, right? He's talking about really important things with his disciples these last 40 days. And uh, so let's look at verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So Jesus is instructing them. He's giving them marching orders. Here are your instructions. Verse 3 says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I thought that's that's pretty interesting. Jesus was talking to his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God. So he's giving the disciples their marching orders, and he thought it was extremely important to talk to them about the kingdom of God. Let's put those two things together. Jesus is is telling them, here's your marching orders, your instructions. You're about to go and be my witnesses. And what do you think Jesus is going to have his disciples telling people about? The kingdom of God. That's our message, the kingdom of God. Um, What do you think to the ends of the earth meant for those disciples? Remember, verse 8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What did that mean to them? Today, the ends of the earth, well, you can kind of imagine that's whatever is on the other side, Japan, um, you know, North Pole, South Pole, the ends of the earth, right? Well, to the disciples in that ancient world, they, they didn't think quite globally like that, right? So the ends of the earth probably meant throughout the Roman Empire. You're going to go throughout the Roman Empire. And you can be my witnesses. And it's helpful for us to know what life was like in the Roman Empire at the time because the reality is that there's two kingdoms that the disciples lived in. There's the kingdom of Rome that was all around them. And there's this kingdom of God that Jesus taught them about for 40 days and said, now you're going to be the witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses telling people about The kingdom of God. So there's two kingdoms. What was the kingdom of Rome like at this time? Well, um, Rome at this time, the the empire spread through a series of Caesars or emperors that would send out their armies to conquer, conquest new cities, new regions, and would take them over for the Roman Empire. When a new city was conquered... Uh, Roman ambassadors would then come in and they would have this message, this message, and they would say, this is the message of good news, the good news of Caesar, the kingdom of Rome, and Caesar has arrived, and Caesar promises peace. This is all good news, and the Roman ambassadors would come in and give this message. There was another message that the ambassadors would proclaim, Caesar is Lord. These are the actual words that the ambassadors would use this message, Caesar is Lord. And if the people of the city pledged their allegiance to, to Caesar, well, then all would go, go well with them, right? If 
if a city or its citizens or individuals resisted that message and did not embrace Caesar as Lord, well, you could be eliminated pretty quickly. So Caesar promised peace, but it, it was kind of this, this forced peace. If you went along with the Roman Empire, things would go great for you. If you were disruptive, well, we would kind of stamp you out pretty quickly. Now, it's interesting to think of how the news of the kingdom of the Roman, of empire, the Roman empire would spread. You know, imagine being in one of those cities or those, those regions where Roman armies came in, soldiers came in and did whatever they did to conquer the city. And you, you may or may not have witnessed all of that, but news of that would spread really fast. Can you imagine that? And you may be inclined to share that news, kind of like someone tells you, uh, did you notice the Romans just came in and now we're part of the Roman Empire? That's kind of, that's pretty intriguing news, right? And you might be inclined to go tell your neighbor, uh, guess what just happened? I mean, we're now Romans, I guess. I mean, that's news that people could use and it traveled pretty fast. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm giving you a different message, a new message. You have the news of another kingdom, God's kingdom, coming in. And as I was thinking about this, it it occurred to me that I think we're natural messengers. I, I think people are natural messengers if we think a message is interesting. If we think it is news you can use, I think we're natural messengers. I think back to being in junior high school. We would spread a message like crazy in junior high. If we thought the news we had was the least bit interesting, we would spread it like wildfire. Did that ever happen in your junior highs? Does that happen in school today? I mean, messages going like crazy because I think people are natural messengers. Now, we have a word today for what goes on with some of that news, right, spreading. We call that word gossip. But when we were in junior high, we didn't think of it as gossip. We thought that we were, we thought we were doing people a public service by giving them the news that they needed to hear. My point is that I think people are natural messengers if we think the news is important, if it's worth sharing, if it's news you can use. And Jesus tells his disciples, Oh, you've got news that people need to hear. News that people can use. It's the message of God's kingdom. It's even more revolutionary than the news of the kingdom of Rome. That's what's at stake in Acts chapter 1, this competing messages of the kingdoms. And we've got this message today, of the kingdom of God, I wonder, I wonder, and wonder with me for a second. Do you think that the news of the kingdom of God is so revolutionary, so needed, that you're eager to share it? Think about that. Let that question just kind of sit with you this morning, today, This week, do you think that the message of God's kingdom is so revolutionary, so needed, that you're eager to share it? That's the message that Jesus gives us. But 
also very important, maybe equally important, I don't know, certainly really important is the method that Jesus gives us to share this message. Um, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 5, do not leave Jerusalem, which is kind of interesting, right? Because he's about to send them out, but don't leave Jerusalem just yet. Why? Because he says to his disciples, you will receive the gift that the Father has promised you, and that is the gift of the what? Holy Spirit. So Jesus was going to make sure that the disciples left with the power to share that message. But it wasn't the power that the disciples may have expected that they would receive. That's the, that's the critical issue. Jesus promises power. The disciples may have been expecting power, but the power that they received might not have been what they expected to receive. So let's talk about that. You see, the disciples were expecting a certain kind of power. Look at what they say in verse 6. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel? Who did they think was going to be the main beneficiary of God's kingdom? Themselves. Are you going to restore God's kingdom to, to us? I mean, that is me first thinking, right? Or in this case, maybe we first thinking for the disciples. What are we going to get the kingdom of God. They believed the kingdom of God meant that it would be like the good old days again when, when the Israelite kingdom was on top and they weren't under the thumb of the Romans or anybody. Rather, they thought, when are, God, are you going to restore us to political power over our enemies? But notice, having power over others, that was simply the same thinking as the Romans, right? When are you going to give us power over others, Jesus? That's that's the same thinking that's going on in the kingdom of Rome. This shows us something. The disciples were being shaped by this other kingdom they were living in, the kingdom of the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of culture, however you want to think about that. The Roman Empire, there were these class systems. There was the top class, uh, the patrician class, I think it was. The elites of society, right beneath it was um, a class called the equestrian class. Kind of interesting. The equestrian class um, were, were known to be important enough that they actually received a horse with public money, with the taxes. Tax, tax paid horses to the equestrian class. Um, they had, uh, the, the patricians and the equestrians had a lot of power and influence um, in society. Then there was the common working class. They were Roman citizens. They weren't very wealthy, but they were still Roman citizens. And then beneath the Roman citizens was another class, the slaves, or the people who might have purchased their freedom from slavery, but they weren't Roman citizens. Everyone had a rank according to their class. People in lower classes, they had fewer rights and privileges. Uh, Men ranked higher than women, citizens over non-citizens. Non-citizens weren't able to wear togas. I'm I'm sorry to tell you all that. Um, Because you may have wanted, if you were a non-citizen, you may have wanted to go out in a toga, and you weren't allowed to. 
So citizens could wear togas. The higher classes could wear stripes on their togas. If you weren't a patrician or an equestrian, you couldn't have a nice colorful stripe on your toga. People wore stripes on their clothes to show which where they ranked in society. No, it's kind of hard to believe. But back then, people actually viewed the clothes that they wore as status symbols. Can you believe that? People thought, how can I display my power, my, my ranking? Um, that was the thought in the Roman Empire. In that day in the Roman Empire, it was perfectly legal. Um, let's talk about more kind of power structures. It was perfectly legal and acceptable for parents uh, to abandon newborn girls just on the side of the road because girls were not seen as, as useful as, as, um, as something worth keeping. Keep the boys. You can discard. If you don't want your girl, you just discard that little baby girl on the side of the road. Um, if a woman were to outlive her husband in the Roman Empire, at least under Caesar Augustus, uh, during the time of Jesus, uh, she had to either remarry or she had to pay a hefty fine. You couldn't remain unmarried as a woman in the Roman Empire because widows were viewed as just hurt, huge burdens requiring money from others. So this is all me first and we first thinking, right, in the Roman Empire. You see, if we proclaim the message of God's kingdom, but use the same method as the culture around us, kind of me first, we first thinking, it's not going to work. And Jesus knows that. And so he gives us a new method for us to share the message. And here is our method. Our method is by showing sacrificial love to those who aren't loved. That's the method. All right. Uh, junior hires. We're going to dismiss our junior hires now for their breakout discussion group. Um, y'all can go with Miss Nina and Miss Melissa. We'll take y'all and have a discussion on the text. Let's talk about this method, and then we'll talk about the map. Uh, So Jesus says, before you go be my witnesses, wait here, receive the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit could do something in them to help them go about this method. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? Uh, Romans 5, verse 5 says, For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. With his love. And Christians that were filled with the Holy Spirit started shaping this church community in a way that was revolutionary. So Acts chapter 2 provides us with just one of the well-known descriptions of this early church. Let me read from verses 44 through 47. All the believers, this is after they were filled with the Holy Spirit that filled their hearts with God's love, 
all believers were together. They held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and they enjoyed the favor of all of the people. In other words, people looked in on this, and they, like how Eugene Peterson puts it, they like what they saw. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As the church lived out this new method for the message. See, the Holy Spirit gave Christians the ability to to put away the me first, we first thinking, and they became about you first, you first. So the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to see life much differently than the Roman Empire suggested. Rome said there's all these strata in life, and where you are in society is determined by your where you line up, your class, your strata. Um, and some people are at the top, and some people are at the bottom. And guess what? In order for you to be a good citizen, to, for you to promote the well-being of society, what you do is you just live out your role the best you can, whether it's the top or the bottom. Just live that out as faithfully as you can. Don't disrupt society. And Christians, however, believe something different. No strata, no classes. Galatians 3 verse 28 says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what this early church believed. Rome said, preserve the strong. Discard the weak. You don't want the little girl, leave her on the side of the road. Christians believe something different. Because James chapter 1, verse 27 says that religion, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, is this, to look after the weak, after those who can't defend themselves, the orphans, for example. Look after the widows, those that no one else was loving in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world, by the kingdom of Rome that you're living in. Don't be polluted by it. And people saw this church. They saw them caring for discarded children. The church would come along and they would take these little girls that had been abandoned on the side of the road and they would care for them. They'd care for, for widows. They would care for the sick. People that the Roman Empire were discarding, Christians would come around them and take care of them and treat them with dignity and love. And they saw people of all classes as brothers and sisters. People looked, on, looked in on the church and they saw higher classes serving lower classes. And the people around the Christians liked what they saw. And God added to the church daily. So one thing that strikes me this morning is how the kingdom of God grows. Despite what some preachers believe, would like to believe, um, the kingdom of God does not primarily grow through preachers getting up and preaching amazing sermons. That's not primarily how the kingdom of God grows. It's not by the preacher being on fire. That's not the main way the kingdom of God grows. 
It's not through Christians going out and just performing miracles left and right. That is not the primary way that the kingdom of God grows. If you can't perform miracles, don't worry about it because that is not how God's kingdom grows. My goodness, Jesus performed all kinds of miracles and it just turned the religious leaders against him. You know, he heals Lazarus, raises Lazarus from the dead. Woo! And then people say, let's kill Jesus. That's what miracles will get you. The miracles are not the primary way that the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God does not primarily grow by God just making life easy for Christians and filling Christians with wealth and status. That's not how primarily the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God is built primarily on the Holy Spirit, giving Christians the power to lay down their lives in sacrificial love, loving those that nobody else is loving. That is what people saw in the first century, and they liked what they saw. And God added to the number of the church daily those who were being saved. So the question this morning, one question is is this, which kingdom are you living in? The kingdom of the world around you, the kingdom of culture, or the kingdom of God? Which set of values are shaping you? Is it culture's kingdom? Is it God's kingdom? Are you living in the the land of me first or we first? Or are you living in the land of sacrificial love for those that nobody else is loving? If you live in God's kingdom and are shaped by its values, God will use you to turn upside down this broken world. If you live according to God's kingdom, God will use you to make right this broken world. And the Holy Spirit will be working in you, giving you the power to do it. It won't be by your power, it will be through the Holy Spirit's power in you. So that's the method. And then there's the map. Jesus does something to our, our map. Um, our map includes the locations where God uses us to grow his kingdom. Our map is enlarged. This is the point here. Our map is enlarged to places and people outside of our comfort zone. And, and we can look at verse 8 to see this. Could it be that, that verse 8, Acts 1 verse 8 is one of the, unfortunately, um, one of those verses that are very easy to ignore, just kind of easy to read over and then not do anything with. So let's get verse 8 again. Uh, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think it may be easy to read that and just kind of go right over that, right? Um, or to think, okay, that applies to the original disciples because... There's geography that are thousands of miles from here, and I don't have to worry worry about that. That was for the disciples. Um, or, Or maybe we think that is for people that are just on fire by the Holy Spirit in them. What does that mean for us today? Jesus telling you, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, I, I can't get around how the scripture says two things at least. One, it means Jesus sends you out to share your faith. It at least means that. It at least means that Jesus sends you out to share your faith. 
And we see that by these kind of circles, these widening circles that Jesus describes. Jerusalem, a little bit bigger than that. Judea and Samaria, a little bit bigger than that. The ends of the year throughout the Roman Empire for those early disciples. If nothing else, it says Jesus is sending you out. In other words, in other words, in other words, you cannot see your faith as a private faith. It is a personal faith indeed, but it is not a private faith. You cannot just have your nice little faith in your heart in your home because Jesus is sending you out. Um, I think, too, it means that you'll be stretched. Now, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth. Literally. Um, but you'll be stretched. You know, when the disciples heard Jesus say, and you're going to go to Samaria, I mean, that would have stretched them. They might have been fine with Jerusalem, maybe Judea, but Samaria, that was kind of like the stay away zone for the Jewish people. Don't go to Samaria. Don't mess with the Samaritans. Just stay away. But Jesus says, I want you to love those who nobody else is loving. And so we today, we probably don't have to go very far, right? In fact, I imagine God will be putting people very nearby that you can show sacrificial love to. And I, I'm hoping as we listen to this story today from Acts, we're not, we're not finding it discouraging. We're not finding it as, oh my gosh, I'm just doing a lousy job as a Christian. Um, but rather that we're inspired by it, that, 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 that we see this as an invitation by God. There is news that people can use about the kingdom of God and we can go give that message. And God says you won't be doing it alone, Right? You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit, and he will go with you. So one last thought for us. How, how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? And I wish, I wish I felt like I was an expert on that, because I do not feel like I'm an expert on how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. But I have one thought. You get filled by the Holy Spirit by letting go of your life before God. If culture's kingdom is me first, we first, and the kingdom of God is everything that is opposite than that, and the kingdom of God is where the Holy Spirit lives and moves and works, then in order for me to get filled with the Holy Spirit, that means I cannot come to God with this me first, we first mentality saying, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit, but I still want to reserve the rights to be in the lead of my life and steer it where I want to go with my own life. Uh, that, that, that is not a posture that we can come to God with and expect for God to fill us with the Spirit. So think of a sponge. I mean, if I have a death grip on a sponge, death grip, and I sink that sponge out of water, I want to fill that sponge up with water, and I sink it underwater, and i got this death grip underwater with this sponge, and I pull it out and open it up. Should I expect there to be any water in that sponge? Not at all, because I had this death grip on it. And sometimes I think we come to God like that. God, i got a death grip on my life, and I, I wanna, I'm going to keep that, that grip on my life 
fill me with your spirit. But it's only going to happen when we loosen the grip of our hand on our life. And that's how you fill a sponge up, right? You, you let go of it and let the water have its way with that sponge. And I think the same is true with being filled by the Spirit. It's when we come to God and say, I'm letting go. I'm releasing my grip on my life. I'm tired of living in this world's kingdom. I'm tired of status and trying to impress and fight for power and stuff like that. And I just want your kingdom more than anything else, God. I'm loosening my grip. I think when we come to God like that, he's going to fill us with his spirit. And then, and then filled by his spirit, we can look for people that God is putting in our our path that we can then love with sacrificial love. We're about to celebrate communion. um, And maybe this morning here in the sanctuary, in your homes this morning, if you're worshiping online, um, you're thinking, I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And we'll have a moment when we can come before Jesus and ask him to fill us. And I just encourage you to think of that posture of just open, opening up your grip on your life and coming to Jesus and letting him have his way with you. And he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you have given us your kingdom. You've promised us your kingdom. You have made available the kingdom of God You've brought it down to us, and you have told us that it is ours. All we have to do is receive it. We pray that we would release our grip on our life, that we would come to you humbly, uh, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to, to see the people that you've put in our, in, our, in our path, to love with a sacrificial love, to put them first, that you would help Hope Church to be this place where we are um, loving one another in the spirit of Christ. They would look in and see um, your ways and your values and your kingdom is being lived out here and that they would like what they see and that you would put people in our path, even this week, Lord, that you would put people in our path, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could then give them this message of your kingdom and do so in a way that um, is loving and is gracious and is full of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.